You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. I am Bob Branco, and this is episode 273. Before we continue, let me introduce proudly my good friend and colleague, Peter Alchil. Peter, what's going on? Uh, we're doing fine here in Missouri. It, with, we had a bunch of rain this afternoon, and we're all proud of our Tigers who clobbered somebody yesterday in college football. So, All right. Well, let's hope for the best. Yep. All right. Well, before we continue, allow me to give some shout-outs and some thanks to people who make it possible for In Perspective to be aired. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer, Jacqueline Sylvia, our website designer from JS Web Solutions, who promptly puts our episodes on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. I also want to say hi to Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. They post In Perspective on bulletin board number 15. I want to thank our media outlets for airing us, especially one. I want to give a great shout-out today to Daryl Breffy of Seajoy Internet Radio. He is having an in-perspective marathon this weekend. He's going to air 54 episodes of In Perspective back-to-back as we get off the air tonight at 6 o'clock. I know that many of you will not be listening to this show live, and by the time you do, the marathon will be just about over. But from this evening at 6 o'clock through Sunday night, you will be hearing nothing but In Perspective on CJOY Internet Radio. If you have an A device, if you're listening now to our show, sometime this weekend, just ask her to play CJOY Internet Radio from TuneIn. Back with us for another appearance. I think this is her third appearance on In Perspective. We have Sight Loss Coach Donna Jordan. But she's not here today to talk about sight loss. She's here to talk about the other hat that she wears. She is an international consultant with the Canadian government. Donna, that sounds like a very, very burdensome responsibility, one that I'm sure you do well. I do the best I can, and I truly enjoy it, and I thank you for having me on for a third time. Well, it's our pleasure, Donna. Welcome to our program. We're always glad to have you. Thank you. So so what exactly is your role with the Canadian government? There are a lot of things that that government does. I'm sure that you do something very specific. Well, I am an accessibility consultant slash advisor. And at the present time, I am working with uh, some departments of the Canadian government to ensure that their services, their websites, their engagement, and their communication with various communities of, you know, various communities of disabled persons of Canada. So I work with Elections Canada. I work with the Canadian Human Rights Commission. I work with the Auditor General's Office of Canada, and I work with other departments as well. But these are the main ones that I work. And and how do you how did you become an accessibility consultant for the government of Canada? I was afraid you would ask. (laughs) (laughs) Ten years ago, I took the Canadian government to court 
over their inaccessible websites, and they fought tooth and nail to throw it out. But my team and I were successful at our the first round of legal battle. We went to the lower Canadian court. We won our um, battle there, and um, then they took us to the Canadian Court of Appeal, and they lost again. So then they were mandated to make all of their websites accessible to all Canadians. And surprisingly enough, they started calling me and asking me if I wanted to work with them, that being various departments of the Canadian government. And after that, uh, in 2014, I thought it was time for me to do something more in that Canada did not have an accessible Canada Act. I felt it was time. This is a developed country. We need to do something more. So I formed an organization called Barrier Free Canada. And what we did is that we lobbied the government at that time because it was an election year to uh, go ahead and uh, be more proactive in legislating for an Accessible Canada Act, which was finally passed in 2019. And this is why I'm here today. It sounds like a similar act to what we have in this country, the Americans with Disabilities Act. It is, except that you guys are, you know, light years ahead of us. We're just now catching up and departments are scrambling to, you know, make their websites, their information uh, more accessible and into, you know, fully engage communities of persons with disabilities across Canada. How is the employment situation with persons with disabilities in Canada right now? I don't think it is any better or any worse than any other country. I think right now we hear statistics ranging from 71% unemployment and more. So it's a chronic problem in this country. And, you know, like other countries, we're fighting, fighting hard. Well, as you probably know, we hear in this country 70% or 80% where the blind is concerned, not so much all disabilities combined, but the blind. And it's the same here. It, it, you know, it seems as if the blind and vision impaired are at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to employment. And this has been so since I was a child, which is many years ago. So, uh, Donna, help, help me, help me out with this timeline. So when did you file this lawsuit or your organization filed this lawsuit? Okay. So I filed an individual lawsuit. And I had a team backing me way back in 2006. In 2010, we won our first legal battle after the government fought tooth and nail to stop it. I will tell you, I was attacked personally and professionally, you know, like relentlessly by, by the government, which is natural because they didn't want to go to court. So we won our first round in 2010. And the Court of Appeal decision came down in 2012. Then I decided to do a bit more in end of 2014. And the legislation was finally passed in 2019. And now they have something called an Accessible Standards Canada Department, where they are really not forcing, but strongly encouraging departments and federal entities 
to follow the standards of the legislation. So give us a sense of what prompts you to follow the suit in the first place. How were things back in 2006? What were the kinds of things you, you, you know, you were, you, that prompted you to follow the suit in the first place? Well, first of all, um, in 2000, year 2000, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to apply for a job with the Canadian government and soon found myself up against websites that were not accessible. You know, forms, I could not complete forms. I could not obtain um, documents in, in alternate formats. A lot of things were not right. So that I started my, my, I would say I started my personal pilgrimage in year 2000. At that time, I had quite a bit of vision, and I used my vision to try and help me access different things on the websites, and it didn't help. But in 2004, I lost almost all of my vision, and I thought, oh, the heck with this. This is going to get worse and worse and worse. And something in me just said, you know, if I want a better future for our kids, if I want our kids to be able to find employment, what can I do? And so I sat down and I thought, well, what can I do? And I I consulted with a bunch of associates of mine and friends who I felt knew a hell of a lot more than I did about the landscape. So in 2006, I thought, time to approach a well-known human rights lawyer in Toronto. His name is David Baker. And I spent three minutes explaining why I was there. And after three minutes, he stopped me and he said, you have a perfect case. You have a charter challenge case, and I think you should pursue it, and I would be happy to do it with you. So we applied to what is called the court challenges program at that time, where funds are given to those applicants who can prove that they have a worthy uh, legal problem that they would like to file against the Canadian government. So we filed that application in 2006. In 2007, we were accepted, and then we launched our official charter challenge. And what was what was the government's uh, defense? What 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 was their argument? I mean, I know you said they 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 criticized you and so on and so forth, but what was the basis of their case? Saying uh, you know, you said, "Hey, you need to do this," and they said, "No, we don't," or "We don't have to," or "We don't want to." What, what was their argument? We don't have to. We don't want to. We are doing enough. Our websites are accessible, so please go away. We will not talk with you because we don't think, you know, that what you're, you're telling us is true. We have done everything we can, and our websites are fully accessible. What changed their mind? I think the legal battle, the fact that we stood up to them. You know, they tried everything. They they, they even hired um, a well-known accessibility expert from the United States, the late Cynthia Waddell. And they paid her millions of dollars, millions of dollars to come up against me and my team. And that failed. So I wouldn't say change their mind. It's just that, you know, we were persistent and we weren't going away. So, so, so you win this case, and yeah. the government clearly wasn't very happy with you. Yet they, yet they hired, yet they hired you. Do I have that story? Do I have that story right? They that, hired. That you. is perfectly correct, and no one else, no one could have been more shocked or surprised than me 
when I started getting these phone calls, I thought, geez, I just sued you. I just won two rounds of legal battles against you. And you want me to work with you? So there, there are a lot, quite a few departments that, you know, came calling at my door. I didn't refuse because I wanted to help. Donna, maybe it was their way of admitting that you were right after all. Maybe so, but, you know, you, you just don't say, nee, 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 nee. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was happy. I was very happy to help. So, so I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to make sense of this. So they call you and they say, can you help us? Yeah. Uh, and they actually sort of, they're, so you're paying, I mean, they're paying you to, to, to support them in their efforts to improve things. Is that, is that correct? Is that, that sort of what, is, what the situation is? Yes, that is correct. Um, the first department hired me to be part of their advisory group on accessibility issues and paid me extremely well. Um, another department hired me to be part of a similar type of group within their department, and I've been paid for the most part. Some are voluntary, but not too many. The latest one is the um, Auditor General's Office of Canada, who has hired me to help them review um, different entities within uh, the in transportation industry to see how accessible those websites are. They include airlines and uh, security agencies and the Canadian Transportation Agency. So uh, what, 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 what also interests me is that apparently, if I understand your uh, bio correct, you do quite a bit of travel with regards to this work. Uh, yeah, so sorry. So, so talk about what that travel, why, why do you do, why do you do this travel? What's the purpose of this travel that you, that you do? Up until COVID uh, came along, I would travel often to Ottawa. Um, there were several advisory group meetings where people came together, stakeholders from organizations of and organizations for Canadians with disabilities and my uh, function there was to be a representative of Canadians um, who are blind and vision impaired. And I also represented Barrier Free Canada because um, I was the founder and president of that organization. And this is why I was hired um, to be part of those advisory groups. But you, you've also mentioned in prior shows you've traveled to England, I think, and Portugal and other places like that. Um, was was that part of this work? No, I traveled to Portugal because um, I was able to get a trip, pay all paid trip by Air Canada in return for a job I a job I had done for them um, on accessibility, and I traveled to England to uh, receive my law degree uh, from the University of London. So those were not part of any governmental trips. Ah, okay. All right. That. So, all right. So, so how are, how are things going? You know, you, you, you started, uh, working for the, for the government. It sounds like about 10 years ago. Um, give or take a couple of years. How are, th- how are things different? How are they the same? What needs to happen in the future? What's your sort of overall sense of the way things are? I think right now, um, a lot of entities, both governmental departments and, um, entities within the different industries, are scrambling because they have been told that they need to get some sort of act 
get their act together to produce a report on what they're doing in standards that have been issued to them. Um, yes, it's nice to, nice to see them scrambling, but I still think there's a huge gap between them honestly committing to engaging with the various communities and communicating in a very, I wouldn't say normal, but a very committed way. So are they being forced to do it? I, I respectfully submit that some of them feel that they are. Some of them really want to do it, but I still think the majority are sort of on the fence. They really, you know, well, do I have to do it? Should I do it? I must do it. So has anything really changed? You just see people sort of waking up and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got to do something. But is it going to go far enough? Only time will tell. So what has changed over the past few years? If I were to... Go, go on a given website, uh, you know, 10 years ago, how, how things, how have things might have changed over those 10 years? I think the websites are more accessible, more navigable, more usable. You have people who, you know, like more developers and designers are coming on board saying, you know what, this needs to be done. This needs to be changed. Like now we understand the full meaning of accessibility and inclusivity. But it's not enough, you know. It's not that we understand. It's what's now we ought to put, you know, the so-called puck in the net, folks. Stop buzzing around the net. Put it in the net. And this is what I keep saying. Yes, hockey imagery is always good in Canada, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. So how how do you distinguish accessibility from inclusivity? You know, that's a wonderful question. I think accessibility for me means that, you know, someone can access an app or access a website and they can use it um, partially or as much as possible with as little sighted um, intervention or sighted assistance. Inclusivity for me means that I can go onto a website I can, you know, like download an app from the app store. I can use this app all by myself and I don't need to ask my mom or my brother or anybody else to help me out. I could be wrong in my, in my interpretation, but this is what I think. So it, it the way I'm hearing you describe it, so accessibility is sort of the, the, sort of the bare minimum that's sort of required. Uh, you know, to make things work versus inclusivity, which it's a, it's a little more, uh, challenging perhaps. I, I'm not quite sure if I'm saying this well. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you that inclusivity is, is, if not, is, is, is the, is the golden, is, is, is the goal. I mean, is the big goal and accessibility would, helps you get you there. Yeah. I would say inclusivity is the golden apple. Accessibility is halfway there. And the other thing that I think a lot of developers and designers and even persons within companies need to understand is that voiceover belongs to the iPhone or an iDevice. It does not belong to a website. Just don't tell me use voiceover to go on your website. It, it's, they're two, it's two different worlds you're talking about. So you still have a lot of that where people think, you know, like voiceover is the golden apple. It is not the golden apple when it comes to using a PC computer. It's golden apple when it comes to using an iDevice.
Well, uh, uh, voiceover, oh, voiceover is a, a very popular program, but it's, but the sites need to be accessible in order or, or inclusive in order for it to be used effectively. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, any, any speech software, you know, pick, pick your choice. It's the same thing, right? You know, you, you, you know, you have the speech software, which is, which is pretty good, but it still needs, you still need to do certain things with the website to make it work. Well, you know, I think what's lacking is knowledge of the different types of screen readers that one uses on a computer and what, you know, the, the, what voiceover is used for on your mobile or your cell phone or your iDevice. That is, there is a big difference there. And, and a lot of people like they, they need to be told that when you go on to an iPhone, for example, and you access a website, it's it's a cut down version on that website. It's not the entire website. Right. So there's a lot of knowledge that needs to be shared with the rest of the world and the technical folks and the app developers, which which presently I'm really trying to encourage Apple to be more not more stern, but to be more forthright and firm with these developers, like you know, a lot of Third-party apps are being sold in the app store, but they're not accessible. Why oh. is that? Because they don't fully understand. Donner, I'm going to make an observation. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of fact to this. I think what's happening is the basic goal of somebody who designs a website, in my opinion, because we live in a sighted society, is graphs. People want to see graphs. They want these attention getters. And, of course, if the more of those things that you have, the less accessible it's going to be to a screen reader. But I think that's the fact. that The people who design websites, they don't have the blind in mind right away. And it's not their fault. They have to be educated. But in the meantime, it's all about graphics and pictures. And I agree with that in that I learned about two years ago, that in order to make my Facebook um, posts more attractive or attention-getting, I needed to include images. So what I do when I post my editorials to Facebook, at the end of the, of the editorial, I have an image description of what the image is going to be, and it has made a huge difference. But I have to agree with you. So education and building awareness, I think, are two tools that we need to really, you know, draw down on here. So I'd like, I'd like to uh, give a slightly different observation. Uh, and yeah. that's based, based on my experience over the past 30 years in the workplace doing one thing or another uh, and, and experiencing websites that were either totally inaccessible or uh, partially inaccessible. And when I would explain the circumstances to my sighted peers uh, and, you know, I would show them, uh, you know, what was happening and they'd sort of, chuckle and say, you know what, Peter, I can see why this doesn't work for you. I, I get that. But we hate it. it uh-huh. we, we, can, we, we can use it, but it's really, really clunky. And what yeah. I came, came to the conclusion is that many sites that uh, are inacce- totally inaccessible to us are partially at least inaccessible to everybody else. It, it, they're just much more complicated to use than they need to be because the designers think they that site public Sighted people want bells and whistles. And sighted people, for the most part, don't want bells and whistles. They want to get through and do, do what needs to be done on the site as quickly as possible so they can get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. 
I'm just wondering if you've had sort of similar experiences uh, in Canada. Definitely so. And I think what's happening even more now is, you know, the online trend. You, you know, you have to do your banking online. You have to order your food online. What about those seniors who did not grow up within the technical world? They're technically shy. They are scared. Amen. They don't have the Internet. They don't have a cell phone. So, hello, what do you want these poor people to do? And these are the guys who have us where we are today. And they, I don't know, the world is not getting it. But it's not, it's, I agree with you, it's, but it's not just the senior citizens and those who don't have computers, because that, that is a, a major problem. But it's even sort of your average person who has a computer who uses it to order stuff. If you have that conversation, what I find more often than not, when they see what's happening, they say, you know what, this is really confusing for us as well. You know, so it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I think that if folks who design these websites, uh, did, did what we asked them to do. I think a lot of people, other people would, would be happy as well. Uh, that's what, that's, that's what I believe. And I was actually having a conversation with the, uh, person in charge of accessibility at the University of Missouri the other day. And she said exactly the same thing. You know, that, that a lot of the things I'm experiencing, uh, would be so much, would, would go away if folks who designed this stuff really understood that not only would blind people be able to use the site, a lot of people would be able to use that, use their site much, 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 much easily, much more easy, you know, and it's, 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 um, I really do believe that there, that there is, um, some benefit for everybody if, if these changes are made to help us. Well, I think, I think part of my job is to say to people, you're not just benefiting those who are blind or vision impaired or seniors or the technically shy. You're, you're benefiting everybody. So look at it this way. Don't tell me, well, I hate this, I hate that. But you know what? The benefits are there to benefit a lot of people. And I have, I have people, you know, in their twenties, thirties and forties, clients are telling me, I'm not going to go online. I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. And they're, they're, they're mainstream users. They're sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they say things like that, what do you leave for us? Yeah, it really is one of these extraordinary things where I think the, the, the tech folks who, who design these sites are doing it for themselves more than to the public. I mean, I hate to be so cynical, but I really think that that, that, that is partly what's going on. These people are trying to look really smart and in the process are making life, uh, make us look dumb, which I just think is so, I mean, not just us as blind people, but ever, but us civilians who have to use their stuff, uh, really sort of bewildered for no good reason. And I just think it's really, really sad. Uh, well, what do you go ahead? I'm sorry. I just want to say a lot of these youngsters, their heads are in the sky or in the cloud. You know, wow, I can do this. Wow, I can do that. Have you sat down to think about other things? Well, I don't have to. It works. It's great. Yeah, that, that's the point. They they don't believe they have to. And I think no. until that until that changes. And again, I'm not talking just for disabled folks. I really believe that if they simplified and, and streamlined their sites, a lot of other people would be happier. Yeah. But that's a project for another time. How, how are you doing with, are you working with folks in the U.S. on this project? Are you networking with people, you know, who are having, who are doing similar things in the U.S.? I have one or two associates. In fact, my, my own developer is in Ohio, a wonderful guy who's often said to me, Donna, um, accessibility is not a priority for the development world. 
So I am working with a few people and I'd love to work with other people. I really, really would because it would open up so many more avenues. Uh, we would think outside the box. So, I mean, if you know of anybody who wants to work, cooperate with me, work with me, teach me, help me, I am here. Well, I may, I may put up that word to my network and see if anybody takes the bait, as it were. Uh, uh, jo- joins, joins your team and picks up a hockey stick or whatever, whatever other image you want to use. Um, by the way, uh, do you have any sense of, I know you're working with the government. Do you have any yeah. sense of how this is working for the, for the private sector? Is this having an impact on how the private sector is, is changing their websites? I have worked with the private sector, some banks within uh, the banking industry here in Canada. I've also worked with um, <coughs> some airlines as well. So I, I have no problem working with anybody who really wants to improve access. Have you noticed any improvements in the, in the, in the private sector sites, these airlines, the banks, or how about the hockey teams? How about the Montreal Canadiens? Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. They are not very accessible. No. Really? Okay. No. And if I had an opportunity to work with them, I would, but I, I'm still trying. I'm still trying to open the door there. If you know anything, let me know. I, I, that I can't help you. I, I do know that, you know, hockey. Well, even, even your even your Canadian football teams, right? They they might yeah. uh, at some point decide that, hey, you know, we're not just you know whatever. We we have we have we have lots of fans who are disabled. Yeah, you would think they would think along those lines as well. Um, no, uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, Donna, what about the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Ottawa Senators? I don't think it's any better as far as making their websites accessible. I don't think they've even thought that A, blind or vision impaired people enjoy hockey. I mean, there are... I enjoy uh, it. <laughs> there are blind hockey, ice hockey teams here in Canada. They get a certain amount of, of publicity, but I don't think it's enough. There has to be more of a united voice. It can't be just a... a Did you say blind ice hockey teams? <laughs> Sorry? Did you say blind ice hockey teams? Yeah. One of them. How does that, how does that work? Well, apparently, and I, I only stayed with one team for a few uh, games until I was knocked from one end of the ice to the, the other. Um, they use a hockey puck that is a, it's a tricycle wheel, and it's filled with piano keys. Now, oh. this it does not travel in the air. Eh? It's only on the ice. Oh, okay. So as you back the the puck around you can hear you know it going along the boards and rattling around and they they've developed a good game they've traveled a lot they've been to russia they've been to other european countries as far as i've been told i don't know if it's the same here in, in the united states but canada has well, a few hockey teams you know it's interesting you should say that because because um i i i know of somebody who, who played adapted ice hockey in in this country yeah. Uh, so I might try to bring on in perspective, uh, at some point down the road. But anyway, so, um, but, but this is a real thing in Canada, right? They, with these, I, yeah. uh, uh, and so are there, how many people are on a team? Is it still five plus a goaltender or how, how does that work? Or do you know? Yeah I, think, yeah. I think it's five plus the goaltender for each side and, you know, they have certain rules and they go at it. They have a great time. They have tournaments. Is there a league? I think there is a league. I mean, I've been out of that circuit 
for quite a few years now, but when I was involved, which is many years ago, there was definitely some teams, uh, Montreal, Toronto, I think Vancouver. I'm not sure of where else again, but there was a, a, a lead, definitely. You're listening to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco and my co-host is Peter Alcho. We're talking with Donna Jordan, who was a national, international consultant with the Canadian government. Uh, Ray, I think it's time now for our participants who are listening faithfully to take part in our discussion. So let them know what they need to do in order to be first or. Whatever. All right. So, um, I, I, don't know how many of you guys were here for the um, recording that I had asked or that I played, but basically it, you just play, uh, raise your hands and we'll take questions in the order of hands raised. Alt Y on PC, Option Y on Mac, Star 9 on telephone under the more tab for raising your hands on smartphones. Um, all right, Chris, you are up first. Hey, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. I have been listening with great interest to this discussion about um accessibility. And that I I want to say that I was really enlightened when I met someone who and this is a few years ago who was working in the field of accessibility and I asked him I asked him what um why is it that we cannot just simply have really regularly running accessibility on our on our uh, computers? And his response was, "the the accessibility gets set up, but every time there's an update, it breaks part of the accessibility." And I said, well, why, why can't that be, you know, just as something that is a priority the minute you update? It goes along with the update. And he didn't, you know, have a lot to say. He said, well, it's a good suggestion. So, but I'm, what I'm thinking is we do have blind people here in the United States who work in the field. We have a man who um, I know I know well, and so do most of you, Jeff Bishop, who works at, for Microsoft. We have, I'm sure, there are blind people who are working in Apple, and they they do a good job. But uh, things happen much more slowly for us as far as bringing. <clears throat> Our end of the program that, that when we, when we get a problem that, you know, when we get something that happens that doesn't work, we don't really know how to fix it ourselves a lot of the time. Chris, I know a blind gentleman. I think he's blind. He manages the LinkedIn accessibility page. And I believe he's from the West Coast. His name is Jenison Asuncion. Does that name ring a bell for anybody? No. He's Canadian. Ah. Oh, you know him. Yes, I do. I hope uh, LinkedIn has improved. I was working for a while uh, trying to um, become a voice actor or audiobook narrator. 
And I went on to link onto LinkedIn and I, some things worked well on there, not but much. most of it. Yeah. And not much at all, including the all important profile. I had to be trained on LinkedIn back in 2013 for a project called Project Starfish. One of the, one of my trainings had to do with LinkedIn. And mm. trust me, it is excruciating. It still LinkedIn. is. It, it still, still is. is. Still is, yeah. It's so maybe you could tell this to Jenison. <laughs> it would, it might all, it might almost make me go into voice acting again to go into LinkedIn and have an accessibility, uh, have good accessibility, including my profile. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So yeah, what what you're what I'm hearing you say, Chris, is that uh, that a lot of these. Folks who put together websites. That, uh, so let's talk about uh, let's 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 take a fi- fictional state like the state of Missouri, which is a fictional state for the purposes of this conversation. Okay. And, and, okay. And, 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 and the fictional state of Missouri hires contractor A to do their websites, and it's it's this is a big conglomerate, and big conglomerate A does the website, and so uh, you know, and then Missouri realizes this is not accessible, so then Missouri has to get on the board and get the stuff accessible. Well, then the, the organization says, ah, this website isn't good anymore. We, we need to up, we need to do some updates. So it does the updates and those things that would, that made it work are that make, are make it no longer work. So then they, have, it's, so then they have to do catch up, right? And this is, mm-hmm. it, this goes on, on and on and on and on and on and on. So then those folks involved with the disability, uh, uh, accessibility piece, get really frustrated and, and reach out to the Missouri government and say, wait a minute, you guys are using this, this site is not workable. We, the, the, your vendor is not taking disability seriously. Well, then the, then the vendor gets annoyed and then they say, yes, we are. No, you're not. Yes, we are. Na, 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 And nothing gets done. So now we, uh, the, the disability folks are saying, wait a minute, we need to find another vendor that might take this stuff more seriously. And, and there are other vendors out there, I hope. That's, that take, uh, accessibility into consideration when things are being designed and not as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And those are the, those are the organizations that we really need to support. Whoever they are. I don't know who they are at this point, but I hope I there are either. some, there, I hope there are, I hope there are some out there that really are trying better than, uh, monolith A, who will remain nameless in this nameless state called Missouri that, um, is, um, that it, it's just infuriating. Uh, a lot of the folks in the disability community because they, they are just not taking things seriously. I am ranting, but does that make sense what I'm saying to you, Donna? It, that part of the issue is you have these large, uh, uh, computer groups who, who design these things for the, for the, for the government, but, th- but they're not taking accessibility in, into, in, into consideration while, while developing the website. We're not, um, we're not a priority. Right. That we were not a priority. And then the other thing that is most infuriating is, you know, you, you challenge these departments here in Canada. This is who has developed this? Who is the designer? Who is the developer? Has this, um, has the system been tested or been tested by persons with a disability? No answer. I said, you cannot expect to test a website with the mainstream person or the sighted person, they don't understand. And then you have these companies who say, yeah, 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 you know, 
we have the expertise, but when you dig deeper, they don't. And that's the problem. Well, you know, Facebook's doing a great job considering all the factions involved with that organization. But even, yeah. even, even Facebook, I've, I, I've given up on Facebook in large part because, because. Well, do, do you use, uh, Peter, do you use the mobile site? I do that all the time. Well, as of, uh, I, I've, I've decided to, to go off social media. That's another conversation. Yeah, that was as mine of, too. As, as of four or five years ago, when I used the media site, it, it worked fine 10 years ago and then they updated it and it works less fine. And actually I saw an email from somebody the other day who said, for some reason, Facebook is less successful now. Hopefully they'll change it over the next, uh, you know, six mm-hmm. months. So I will, I'll keep you posted. So it, I, I'm sure Facebook is more accessible than other places. Um, and I hear that the fo- the, the uh, app on your phone is, is more accessible than the computer, but this is an ongoing battle. And I think Facebook yeah. is more cognizant than, uh, than a lot of other organizations, but it's still a they problem. They try. They try. Yeah. They yeah. Try, yeah. But I left for the same reason you did and I'm not yeah. going back. So yeah. I, I've yeah. just decided that for the, for, for the moment, I'm just not going to do it with social media just for, as a personal mm-hmm. choice. It's, yeah. It has less to do with accessibility than, than, uh, other things that are happening in my life. So anyway, um, so, but, so do you, uh, getting back to our discussion, Donna, uh, my, my guess is a lot, a lot of these departments don't design their own websites. No. Is that my, yeah. So, yes. yeah. so what happens is you go, you go to the department and the department says essentially, Hey, wait a minute. We didn't design this. This isn't our fault. And then, and, and then you're stuck because they then have to go to whoever the person who designed the website, who they have a contract with, who, who have as much concern about accessibility as, uh, you know, as, as the department did before you won the, your case. And now they have to fight with, the, the 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 original designer. I mean, uh, it it that's I think that may be part of the problem. Does that make sense? It, what I'm saying to you, Donna? It is the problem. You have third party third parties who know nothing about accessibility or inclusivity. Never, you know, they didn't really uh, pay enough attention. They don't know enough. They don't think it's important enough. So when you say to the department or the company, the website needs this, this, this. Oh my gosh, you know, I got to go back to my contractors. I got to yeah. go back to my third parties. And then you, you find out to your, to your dismay that the, their teams do not, do not have or include testers who are, you know, who have a disability. And that's where it, it all, mm-hmm. you know, everything just bunched mm-hmm. up there. Yeah. It, it, it is a real puzzle. I mean, um, I, the issue is not so much with the government agencies, although they, they're, they are complicit. The issue is these organizations who, these large outfits who create these websites without, without factoring accessibility. And not only do they irritate people like us in the disability community, but they make it more difficult for their average user to use their sites, uh, productively. It, it, it's, it's a crazy system. Ray, yeah. do we have any other participants? We do. Uh, First of all, thank you, Chris, for your comments. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, John McCann, you are up next. John. Hey, John. John McCann? John McCann, are you muted? <laughs> are you being swallowed up by the Arizona desert? <laughs> well, uh, Ray, we, we have to move on, and then when John uh, uh, corrects there things, is nobody else. Nobody else. Okay. 
Uh, John, just interrupt us when you're all set. And Ray, if other people raise their hands, let us let us know if you if you uh, could. So uh, Donna, you you mentioned the I'm, I, and I know this is not your area of expertise, but I'm sort of curious. Um, you talked about the employment situation. It's probably about the same there than it is in Canada as it is, as it is here in the United States. Do you have any sense at all uh, about how the work that you're doing is impacting the employment of people with disabilities in Canada? Sadly enough, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's this. This is such a huge landscape that it's going to take. You know, we have to come together. We have to raise our voices. We have to say why it is needed, right? We we just can't do it on our own, and and people don't understand. You know, well, I'm not disabled, so why should I care? Well, folks, you will care if. You wake up one morning with no vision or a disease takes a hold of you and suddenly your, your vision is going or gone. So a lot of it is, well, I don't need to be. That's the whole thing. Yeah. I, I, and I also, I also wonder, I mean, because, you know, the disability community is, you know, is, is they always say is the largest disability uh, minority in, in, a, in a given country. And. Yeah. Part of the problem is, of course, our needs, our, our needs conflict. You know, so what works well for me might not work well for a person who's deaf, for example, uh, or a person who uses a wheelchair. So it's a question of figuring out to the best possible, how can we work together to make things as accessible as possible for as many people as possible? And I keep coming back to what I've said before, which is the, the easier it is to work for us, the more likely it's going to be easier to work for everybody else. I think that's a message that we really do need to, we really do need to convey. And I think this is one of the reasons why in this country we have all of these different agencies for different disability groups, deaf, paraplegics, blind, muscular dystrophy. You have all kinds of different supports because you have to have different supports. Yeah. One size don't fit all. That's what, you know, they think, well... I could have, I couldn't have said it better, Donna. Well, you know, they say, well, if it works for Bob or if it works for Peter, Donna should be able to use it and say, Donna is different from Bob and Bob is different from Peter. And this is another sort of um, enigma that we need to. Hello, do I hear somebody's uh, voice somewhere in the distance? Maybe from the desert of Arizona? Yes, actually. <laughs> oh, John, hi, John. There you How are, are you? you sound you good. Are John? Good, good. Sorry about that. I, I, I was not able to access the uh, acknowledgement that it was being recorded, and that was ah, the problem. Yeah. Okay. So I had to come back out and come back in and all that. Now, I won't belabor all that point. First of all, Ms. Jordan, uh, you know, great work. Thank you for all you do, and congratulations on that rather prestigious award, the name of which I cannot now recall, but I know that you were recognized recently because I see your posts on Facebook Unlike Peter, I'm electing to stick with it, though it, it tries my soul <laughs> at times. But um, I have several thoughts. Um, uh, but first of all, I will acknowledge that, you know, in late high school, early college, um, I was a huge hockey fan. I still am, although it's dissipated somewhat, given that I'm in Arizona. <laughs> but for retirement. You, you got the coyotes. Yeah. You the coyotes. Yeah, yeah coyotes. I know we have the coyotes. They're not worth much generally. And I'm always a Ranger <laughs> fan. I mean, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, right. I'm, I'm a diehard Ranger fan. Right now, I'm concentrating on the Mets with the Braves calling up our bumper. But that's a whole other discussion. But but I will acknowledge um, that back in the day, I 
put on the skates and knocked a puck around. We tied bells onto a puck. But but I will validate that there are very compelling, justifiable, wise reasons to avoid the slap shot in blind hockey. Um, as, as much fun as it can be, you can no way react in time. <laughs> with a credible shot. That thing is 100 miles an hour, and you're going to get seriously hurt. I never even tried, you know, lifting it off the puck without making sure that the, whoever my sparring partner was also had a full on, full on helmet, you know, full face covering helmet. Yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, it was a wise way to go. Uh, I want to tell one interesting story and then a real question. Um, it's interesting because I think as the capacity for websites, you know, with bandwidth and with advanced graphic cards, the impetus is only going to increase and has increased over the past 25 years to have very graphic intensive websites. But I didn't do training in accessibility as as a profession, but I would help friends. And when I wanted in the past, when I wanted to get somebody, give somebody a, a place to go to get a good graph of tables and how to use them, I pointed to www.nhl.com because back in the day, that site was so table rich. I would give them assignments like tell me, you know, all seven games of the 1942 Toronto Detroit series, the scores. There were tables all over the place. It, it was, and, you know, that's how I learned to really get my way around tables and learn that. Now, somebody touched on something very interesting, um, although it almost rises to the level of self being something self-evident, that companies outsource their uh, website development. But going even further than that, the people who are doing the, uh, the outsourced contractors, companies, whatever they be, that's not inconsistent there. They're probably using content management systems. Uh, I don't know of anyone who codes from scratch today. The complexity of websites pretty much precludes that. So with that as a preface, I think our point of leverage needs to be leaning on the content management system outfits to have effective accessibility plugins. What are your thoughts on that? I fully agree with you. You know, like I have someone keeps telling me, well, WordPress is very accessible and you should be able to. And I'm saying, well, did they work with anybody who is blind or vision impaired? No answer. And, and I guess what I'm looking for, I really would love to work with any company in the United States, because I think you guys are the ones who are the leaders. You have the resources. You have the oomph to do it. And if we can somehow form a, a team to work with with a bunch of not just content developers, but website developers and, and companies, it's going to be a huge, huge effort. But start with the content developers and start convincing them that, you know, it should start here. Well, unless there's, unless there's a distinction that I'm not clear on, that the content developers are really using content management systems. So I think, uh, I don't know the extent to which this is true. You probably have a better read on it. Certainly not every business or maybe even the majority of businesses are not using WordPress because the more you rely on plug and play, the more you potentially, if not actually, restrict innovation in a sense you're relegated to what the content management system allows for and there's good and bad in that uh to the extent that you control the environment you can better leverage well it's kind of like apple having a closed system which at least in the short term uh, perhaps up until only recently 
made them relatively safe from viruses. I mean, people denigrated the fact that it was closed, but that closed nature did have that advantage. Um, and, and where I'm going with this, I think we need to leverage the content management systems, the, the primary ones or the ones that are most frequently being used by uh, companies to, to basically put up their website because, because companies and really not even, not even the companies that, that the businesses contract for, they're certainly not coding from scratch. Right. Right. So no. To just tell, to just tell them WAG, WCAG 2.1, we can tell them that till they're blue in the face, but they may not even understand a lot of that. What's those initials stand for? Say again? What do those initials stand oh, for? World, the web wide, I just know it's the standard accessibility guidelines. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Donna, you'll know what that stands for. They understand for, it. What? They don't fully understand what WCAG means. Like they sit there and say, huh? What are you talking about? Yeah, worldwide consortium accessibility guidelines. Yes. But it is, quote, that we, I mean, we have to talk standard if, if we're going, because it can't be, you know, what Bobby can do, what Jenny can do, what Luann can do. You know, there's, there's got to be a standard. And as I've often preached to the blindness community, you got to bring your computer skills up. Right. You know, you got to come to the table with some knowledge. Um, That's right. I yeah. think there's some uh, management of expectations that need to be done on the blindness side. Yeah. And, and that's a major issue because, uh, you know, I mean, it, it is sometimes it's not clear to me how much of this inaccessibility is my lack of knowledge and how much of it is a, is a real problem. Good and, that's point. That, and that's what I'm always ta- checking with my contacts at the at where I work. Is this an issue where I need some training or is this something that, you know, uh, is, is a real problem. And 90% of the time it's, no, no, Peter, this isn't you. This is, this is us. And oh, that's encouraging to hear, but you know, it, it, it's, it, and that's what must, must make it really frustrating for a lot of, uh, uh, folks who are doing these websites. How much, how much of it is our fault, if it were, and how much of it is the fault of the, of the users? And it's so much easier to blame each other than to try to make sense of this stuff, uh, as, you know, working together. Uh, and, um, it seems to me, John and, and Donna, that a good place to start if we were to work together is, is to pick, you know, I don't know how many, say 10 websites that all of us agree are, are pretty, that work really well for as many people as possible. Say, here are the websites we, we like a lot. You know, do more of that and we'll, we'll yell at you less. I think just starting with that might be a good place to start. Gentlemen and Donna, we have two minutes to go. Uh, I want to thank you, John, for your comments. They were very good comments. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, Ray, do you have anybody else? <laughs> John, before before you go, join us on Sports Roundtable. We we could definitely uh, use your your enthusiasm of hockey and baseball uh, on our well, baseball in particular. Okay. I'm, I'm oh, how about the basketball? I think the Phoenix Suns are the best Arizona team going right now. Basketball bores me. I just oh. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. There are. Ray, do we have anybody else? No hands. No more hands. All no right. hands. I have one final question I have for you, Donna. I want to get back yeah. to the ice hockey for the blind. Yes. What does the goaltender? <laughs> what does the goaltender do if the puck is always on the ground? He has to be on the ground as well, but he has to be down. He has to be, you know, he he can't stand up all the time. He has to be crouching because he has to stop it as it comes, you know comes along the, the, the ice surface. 
better use the blade of his stick and it skates very effectively. He has <laughs> to use his, yeah, he has to use his blades a lot. And the blade, the blade of the stick, I mean, a lot and learn how to block things that are, that are on the ground. Uh, we, 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 we need to do a show about this at some point. We need to do a show about, uh, about, I think that'll be a fascinating show. Uh, Donna, very, very briefly, what, what is your view of the future? You've been doing this work for 10 years. What do you think is going to happen in, uh, say in the next six months, year? What do you, what are you hoping? What do you think might happen? Uh, it's going to be a very, very hard fight. I really mean it. But if we want to leave something a little better for our children, and I don't mean this to be philosophical. I really mean it. We got to keep on going, but you see, we got to work more closely together. It's not just me here in Canada. It, it, it's working with you guys in the United States. And like I said, this is my um, call to work with other people. So if you know of anybody who's interested in forming some sort of little group, and I don't mean a large group, a little group, I recognize John's name, but there are other people out there like you guys who if you're willing, I think we should try something. Yeah. I think that's the only way we're going to, this is going to happen is to work across, uh, across borders. Cause, cause all, right. all these, all these, all these organizations that are doing these web design things that John talked about are, are international as well. You know, yeah. it's not as we're dealing with a, a person. Anyway, enough of my rants on the subject. Thank you, Donna. You've been terrific as always. We, Thank we you very much you, for having me. Bring you back to have these conversations and, um, uh, uh for those who are in this country, happy Labor Day. I don't think you have that in Canada. Happy Labor Day. Yes, we do. Oh, do you? All right. Then happy Labor Day in Canada, too. Next week, Congressman Le Boutelier will be back for another political discussion. Peter, Ray, thank you very much. Donna, our participants, all go safe with God's blessings. Take care, everybody.